my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict iron jaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. I'm your host, Josh Baker, and this week I'll be covering possessed zombies, paranormal investigators, and decapitated heads. Join me as we sneak into a spooky apartment building. Make sure not to get bitten. Number one, Wreck 2007, directed by Jaime Balaghetto and Paco Plaza. A reporter and camera operator go along on a call with the fire department. Once they get to an apartment complex, the building is locked down with multiple people, including them, trapped inside. An outbreak ends up killing everyone. It's revealed that the tenant in the penthouse was an agent of the Vatican that was trying to cure a girl's demonic possession, which became a virus after experiments to cure the condition failed. The people infected by the virus are the killers. That last part isn't super obvious though. I just thought the tenant was a weirdo that shouldn't have been mixing religion and science. In the finale scene, the girl who was possessed kills the reporter and camera operator. I didn't realize that the Blair Witch lookalike is supposed to be the possessed girl. Allegedly that girl is really important to all the sequels that you better believe are coming up in this episode. Hopefully I don't have another pumpkin head situation on my hands. The new Blair Witch movie totally stole the witch's design from Patient Zero in OG Rec. Patient Zero is played by Javier Botet. The character appears to have been done practically, and yeah, she's pretty creepy, all lanky and slender. I saw the American remake Quarantine when it came out in theaters in 2008. I only saw it the one time, but from what I remember, the events in both movies are exactly the same. The only thing I prefer about the American remake is the name. Rec is short for recording, and when talking about this movie in person, I found it really hard to decide if I should call it Rec, R-E-C, recording. It just sounds really confusing when you're trying to talk to someone who hasn't heard of it. This is a well-done, found-footage movie. Sure, you start to question why Pablo, the camera operator, isn't putting the camera down and helping out or running for his life in some scenes, but compared to a lot of bad found-footage films, that have come out over the years, this one feels pretty real. The gore in this is great. Some of the bites that you see up close are absolutely disgusting. There's a scene where a guy gets a shot in his bite wound that really skewed me out. Yeesh. I believe that most of the acting is solid. The movie is in Spanish though, which makes it a little tougher for me to tell. I really liked Manuela Velasco as the reporter. She seemed like a go-getter that would die for a decent story. Most of the action on screen is great. There is one really bad scene where a little girl bites her mom and it doesn't sell at all. It looks incredibly fake and makes me wonder why they didn't reshoot the scene. 
I was in a short film where I was supposed to hit someone with a tire iron, and all we had was a real one. Every time I tried, I couldn't sell it out of the fear of hurting someone, and since we were doing the entire short in one shot, we couldn't just cut and reset over and over until my swing looked perfect, since it took place minutes into recording. We also had only 48 hours to complete the entire film and get it online. Wreck was a big production, so I definitely think they should have kept at that scene until it came off as believable. There are jump scares in this, but most of them actually feel somewhat organic because zombies are going to jump at you. Since I'm going to be covering the sequels, let's get this out of the way. Wreck is a zombie movie. Even though zombies are not explicitly mentioned, there is a virus that spreads through saliva that makes infected people want to bite other people. It's a good zombie movie. Sure, the reveal at the end is confusing and the whole idea of a Vatican exorcism agent getting everyone in this pickle is a little far-fetched, but if you are a fan of found footage movies and zombies, check out Wreck. If you have issues with motion sickness, it might make you a little queasy. If you decide to look for this movie, beware of Amazon. The digital rental they have is a horrific English dub. There's four bucks that I'm never going to see again. Fun fact, one of the rec directors, Paco Plaza, also directed the Possession movie Veronica that I covered in a past episode. One last thing on the OG rec. The fire department is originally called because a large old lady named Conchita is acting strange. When they find her, she's acting all zombie-ish and looks disgusting, as zombies do. Later on, they say that the building is being quarantined due to BNC protocol. So by putting two and two together, I figured out B and C stands for Big Nasty Conchita. Number 2, Reg 2, 2009, directed by Jaime Balaguerro and Paco Plaza. A SWAT team accompanies a guy that is revealed to be a priest into the infected apartment building from the first movie. The priest reveals that the virus causes those infected to become possessed. A bunch of people die slash are turned by the virus. The reporter is still alive, and an alternate dark dimension is revealed. The reporter turns on her accomplices, killing the remaining officer and priest. The demon that possessed Tristana Medeiros, patient zero, transferred into the reporter right after the events of the first film. The reporter, now the host for the demon, is about to be evacuated from the building because she was able to impersonate the priest's voice. Everyone is either possessed or dead. Earlier in the movie, two teens, Made and Ori, were locked in a room, so they might still be alive. The SWAT team, Made, and the possessed are the killers. There was a dad outside the building in the first movie. He ends up getting inside in this sequel, and the SWAT team murders him, thinking he's one of the possessed people. Made kills a fireman that came in with the dad. Why? Because he was wrestling with a possessed person. Why did she shoot him, though? Who knows? She had a completely open shot on the possessed individual, but shot the fireman. No one is that bad of a shot. They were like three feet away and barely moving. Their heads were a foot apart. Come on, Made, get it together. This movie leans into the demon possession idea that is hinted at in the first movie and falls overboard into the demon-infested waters. In the first movie, it's presented that the virus spawned from someone who was deemed possessed by the Vatican, but it's never confirmed that it's not just some weird zombie virus. In Wreck 2, which should have been called Wreck 2 The Reckoning, people that are infected are possessed. 
No ifs, ands, or buts about it. We see the power of Christ compelling the infected people. We see blood taken from Tristana catch fire once a cross is pointed at it. Infected people are interrogated by the priest and show obvious signs of being possessed by demons. This ain't your average zombie film no more. Now we have demons. Does this make the movie scarier? Nope. On the contrary, it makes it hilarious. Early on in the movie, the SWAT team and priests have a run-in with a little demon boy that keeps jumping on them. This should be frightening, but the boy's demon screams mixed with the grown men yelling as it jumps around is goofy and funny. Even the scene where the priest blows the demon boy's head off with a shotgun is somehow comedic. I think it's the look on one of the SWAT guy's faces that really made me laugh. One of the SWAT members gets infected and starts screaming as possessed individuals do. Thing is, bear sounds are used. A human man grabbing at people while growling like a bear is funny. Why would they go with bear sounds? I guess they didn't feel like using the cliche pig squeals that normally accompany demons. Compared to the first movie, this one uses a lot more CGI, mostly when heads are blown off with shotguns. We get two instances of demon heads being removed by shotguns. Both don't look great, but the Demon Boy one is much better than the one at the end of the movie where the reporter shoots off Tristana's head. The makeup effects done for the possessed people look pretty good. When a possessed teen named Tito is tied up and interrogated, we get a good look at the makeup and it's creepy. Speaking of teens, teens sneak into the building after they see the firemen and dad creeping in through the sewers. The teens are hella dumb and annoying. They do end up paying off though. There's a scene where an infected mom from the last movie jumps the teens, so one of the teens lights a firework and shoves it in her mouth. She is pushed around the hallway by the force of the firework until it goes off and puts her down for good. It's by far one of the most ridiculous demon slash zombie kills I have ever seen. The acting in this seems okay, I think the acting in the first one is better though. Rec 2 has multiple cameras. The SWAT members have cameras on their helmets. During parts in the movie, there is picture-in-picture picture as we cut to different people's points of view. I didn't love that, but I really liked how cameras are destroyed during attacks, which they were able to do since there were multiple cameras. A SWAT member gets attacked by a possessed lady that takes out his camera and infects him. The whole attack and camera being damaged sequence is really cool. If you enjoy Wreck, maybe think about moving on to Wreck 2 if you want more of the infected apartment action with a nice dose of accidental comedy. I give Wreck 2 a soft recommendation. It does drag a bit, and the teens are hella dumb. Number 3, Wreck 3, Genesis, 2012, directed by Paco Plaza. Coldo and Clara are getting married. Caldo's uncle was bitten by Max, the infected dog from the first movie. People start getting infected with the possession virus. Caldo and Clara are separated. They fight to be reunited while people die around them. They are finally reunited, but Clara's hand is bitten. Caldo cuts it off, but it's too late. They exit the quarantine area and kiss, which ends in Clara ripping out Caldo's tongue, thus infecting him. They are then gunned down by men containing the outbreak. The possessed are the killers. The possession angle makes these movies really confusing to talk about, but hey, they are sticking to it, dang it. The demon that possessed Tristana is still in charge of the horde and can be seen in reflections. The demon looks worse than ever. 
the demon being the skinny old lady thing. In the first two, she looks really creepy and grotesque. Not so much here. Now the demon looks like fake garbage. This is the first movie in the series to abandon POV. We start off in the rec standard POV format during the wedding. We get the wedding photographer and a cousin of the groom's perspective. Coldo smashes the wedding photographer's camera after he won't stop filming post-outbreak, which brings the movie out of POV. After watching two shaky POV movies, I appreciate the change. Sometimes I get a little motion sick. POV isn't the only thing Rec 3 abandons. This movie is no longer trying to be a straight-up horror movie. It's now a horror comedy. There's a guy in a knockoff SpongeBob SquarePants costume named Sponge John, if you need obvious proof that this movie is a comedy now. Animal sounds are also used even more for growls of the possessed. There are a ton of goofy scenarios and just over-the-top action throughout. Caldo dons knight armor, a shield, and a mace when he begins his journey to rescue Clada. Clada ends up being the real badass of the couple. She uses mostly hand-to-hand -hand combat to lay the beat down on possessed attackers, but she also gets friendly with some infected with the help of a chainsaw. The cover of the movie is Clada with a chainsaw, so I knew a chainsaw massacre was coming eventually. The chainsaw scenes are great. Clada chainsaws a face in half, the saw gets stuck which makes her have to improvise with some sweet punches and kicks until she gets the motorized death machine free. She then pushes it through a zombie. I'm just going to say zombie for simplicity's sake from now on. She pushes the chainsaw into the zombie's stomach and after realizing all this did was make her get up close and personal with a still grabby zombie, she starts sawing the fiend in half upwards through its head. Now Caldo does get some decent kills himself, but he doesn't carry himself like a complete badass as Clada does. Coldo bashes a zombie's head in with a mace and also takes out his uncle, who got them all into this mess with a rotary tool which he uses to drill into Tio's face. The visual effects in Rec 3, besides the ones used for Demon Tristana, are where the movie shines. The practical gore is a ton of fun, CGI is used lightly to complement the practical effects, the makeup for the infected is great and can be seen a lot better in this one due to the move away from POV and just an increase in lighting all around. The movie does drag in parts, but overall it's a good time. I feel this is the best direction the series could have gone in. Another POV movie in the same vein of the first two would have been way too stale. The horror comedy take is smart and the reason why I recommend checking out Rec 3. Number 4, Rec 4, Apocalypse, 2014, directed by Jaime Balaguerro. The reporter, Angela, is rescued from the apartment building by a guy named Guzman. They are now on a boat with some other survivors. Some scientists on board are trying to create a cure. They infect a monkey to test their cure, but someone lets the monkey escape, which leads to a ton of people getting infected. It's revealed that the demon transferred into Guzman when he rescued Angela. One of the scientists hits a button that starts a timer. Once the timer reaches zero, the boat will explode. Angela and another guy named Nick take down Guzman before he can transfer the demon parasite back into Angela. They get on a lifeboat and take off right before the boat explodes. The demon parasite is shown to be alive in the water. It's swallowed by a barracuda. Angela and Nick are then shown in a taxi on land. The possessed people are the killers. 
If you kill someone that you already know has been bitten, you aren't a killer. It has to be done. I expected Rec 4 to be a lot worse than it is. It's actually a decent time. It's not great, but compared to the fourth installment of Pumpkinhead, Rec 4 is a masterpiece. The POV has been thrown out the window once again. In this movie, the only camera shots you get that are similar to the first two are from security cameras, and luckily they didn't decide to add sounds to the security camera footage like they did in Rec 3. The location for Rec 4 is interesting. If a terrible virus outbreak happens, why not try to have a big quarantine on a boat in order to hopefully stop the spread once and for all? Like the third movie, the visual makeup effects for the possessed zombies are stellar. We get gross, bulging boils, and lots of blood drooling. Not all the visual effects in Rec 4 are good though. Pet warning! There are some terrible CGI monkeys in this movie that get killed hilariously when they run into a boat propeller that's shoved up into an air vent. All the monkeys look terrible, so I don't think their deaths will make anyone sad. A practical puppet was made for the monkey that was purposely infected, and when the actual puppet is used, it doesn't look that bad. Like in the first movie I ever covered on this podcast, The Mutilator, a boat propeller is carried around as a weapon. Not only monkeys are shredded with the propeller in Rec 4, some zombies also take the spinning blades to the face and body. It's pretty ridiculous, but I always enjoy when this particular device is used as a weapon in horror movies. There are a lot of guns in Rec 4, and all the sounds associated with them are the most basic stock gun sounds. The gunshots also create terrible CGI bullet wounds with awful CGI blood splatter. Guzman is played by a guy that looks like the Spanish version of Jean-Claude Van Damme. His performance is fine. Everyone's acting in this movie is good enough. The same actor who has played the reporter Angela throughout the series reprises her role. I think she does a decent enough job. The fact that she was no longer the host for Demon Tristana throughout the movie was confusing given the ending of Rec 2. I get that the demon was transferred into Guzman, but I think it would have been cooler if she just stayed the demon. The twist that Guzman somehow became the demon in 60 seconds, where he and Angela needed to leave the apartment building before it exploded, is dumb. Like 2 and 3, this movie continues down the path of using animal growls and roars for zombies. A man making bear noises will always come off as stupid. I would have preferred them to distort some human-made growls and screams for the possessed individuals. I don't think it would be too hard to engineer some really creepy sounds that way. Even though this movie wasn't anywhere near as bad as I thought it would be, I much prefer where Paco Plaza took the third movie over this more serious action movie that Jaime Balaguerro decided on for Rec 4. If you end up watching all the other movies and really want to see the last in the series, watch Rec 4. For everyone else, I only recommend checking out 1 and 3. Number 5, Saturday Morning Mystery, 2012, directed by Spencer Parsons. A gang of paranormal investigators, Nancy, Gwen, Chad, Floyd, and their dog Hamlet, check out a supposedly haunted house. Once inside, eerie things begin to happen. Eventually, the gang spots a strange feral kid and chase him. Chad catches the kid, who is saved by his axe-wielding feral dad, who cuts off Chad's head. The rest of the group try to escape. Floyd is also killed by the feral dad. A police officer friend shows up. He gets Nancy and Gwen to safety, but is captured by feral dad. Nancy and Gwen go back to save him. 
It's revealed the kids of the original homeowners, the Kaisers, who were thought to be dead, survived by hiding in the basement. Gwen is killed by Feral Dad, who's revealed to be Frankie Kaiser. Nancy kills him and escapes with the officer. Nancy is attacked by Feral Mom, Mona Kaiser, and Bess her too. The movie ends with Nancy and the officer sitting in a car and cuts to credits right after the feral kid jumps on the car and starts bashing the windshield. The feral Kaisers are the killers. We see Frankie kill multiple people, Mona probably helps with some past kills, and pet warning, their feral kid kills Hamlet. Hamlet's death is off screen, but you do see the feral kid eating him. Don't worry though, this movie is abysmal so you won't have to make yourself susceptible to witnessing the dog death or any other parts of this garbage film. Let me get what this movie does well out of the way real quick. The practical gore is done well. Chad sucks, so when he gets his head cut off, it's a great moment. Gwen is cut in half and it looks good even though she shouldn't be alive long enough to goad Nancy into mercy killing her. I don't think you can survive being cut in half, especially with that amount of blood loss. If Gwen had been crushed, maybe. It appears the guy that was crushed in half actually lived. Go figure. Anyway, the practical gore is the only plus when it comes to this movie. The acting is all over the place. Speaking of all over the place, the sound design in this is horrendous. Subtitles are an absolute must. It's impossible to make out what characters are saying at times by sound alone. I tried turning up the volume, but that didn't help with hearing the dialogue. No one balanced the audio levels for the cast. Some characters are loud, while others are inaudible. Allegedly, there is creepy singing in parts of the movie, which I would not have known about if it wasn't for the subtitles filling me in. The music in this is also terrible. The events of the film are supposed to be set in 1994, but nothing really makes you feel that it's the 90s. The music that is played by a character in the movie is cheesy 80s electronic, and the score for the film is uninspired generic crap. This is supposed to be a comedy, but nothing funny happens throughout its entire runtime. I feel like some color would have helped the film. Everything looks so washed out and lackluster. The movie fails so hard at being an homage to Scooby-Doo, which it even name drops. None of the terrible homage attempts capture any of the actual Scooby-Doo charm. There's a sequence where characters keep coming in and out of different doors in a hallway while chasing the feral kid, which could have been done well, but the scene just doesn't land at all. The movie drags on for far too long before Chad gets decapitated. The characters are awful and boring. Chad is awful, but with a name like that, I expected him to be. Chad and Gwen have a long, very nude sex scene. Really, you two? This is the movie you decided to go nude for? Late night Cinemax movies are better written than this. I'm honestly amazed at how bad this movie is. You can do so much with the concept of Scooby-Doo for an adult audience. I'm honestly surprised that there isn't a good adult homage to Scooby-Doo. I tried to read a book called Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero that was also supposed to capture adult Scooby-Doo, but that was awful and trash-tastic. I could not get past the bloated writing. Edgar overly describes the most simple things. Here's an excerpt about a beat-up dude in a psychiatric hospital. His old bandaged fingers ached under fresh contusions. Bruises sprawled throughout his slender chest and arms like industrial developments in 19th century Britain. Edgar, what are you talking about? Every other sentence in that book is written in that manner. Stay far away from Saturday Morning Mystery and Meddling Kids. Both are bad. 
watch any actual Scooby-Doo content instead. Sooner or later, I plan on having a whole Scooby-Doo extravaganza episode. Sure, I'll be cheating a little since I'll be talking about a lot of stuff I've already seen, but I promise it'll be fun if it actually happens. Number 6, Night School, 1981, directed by Ken Hughes. Detective Austin is investigating a serial killer that is decapitating co-eds. His investigation leads to Professor Vincent. Austin finds out that Vincent had an affair with one of the victims. He's currently in a relationship with a girl named Eleanor. More girls are decapitated. It's revealed that Eleanor, who is pregnant with Vincent's baby, decapitated all the girls he had affairs with and some other girls that were getting in the way because she loves him. The house they are in is surrounded by police. Vincent adorns Eleanor's entire killer getup and rides off on the motorcycle Eleanor was seen escaping the crime scene on. Police chase him, causing him to crash and die. The murders are pinned on Vincent. Eleanor gets away, but Austin appears to know she did it. Eleanor is the killer. The killer wears a bunch of motorcycle gear throughout the movie, which is supposed to keep you guessing throughout. I was pretty sure Eleanor was the killer as soon as I saw her react to Professor Vincent being called out about an affair. This is one of the rare movies where a woman is the killer. Kudos for that, Night School. Not many horror movies have a woman as the killer. This movie has early 80s written all over it, from the electronic score to the fashion choices and hair. Almost all of the blood present in the movie is bright red. Even though a big theme throughout the movie is decapitation, there isn't a lot of on-screen gore. You get to see a head here and there, but most of the time you barely see much of said heads. There's a scene where a head is dropped into a tank in an aquarium where you get a good look at it as it falls and bonks a sea turtle on the head. Yeah, a decapitated head hits a sea turtle on the head in this movie. The sea turtle then starts to munch on the tasty human snack. Out of the many discovered heads in this movie, I'd say the best by far is the one that is left in a toilet. A girl wakes up and walks to the bathroom where she sees blood and hair coming out of a toilet bowl. It's a very disturbing visual and the one part of the movie that actually filled me with any sense of dread. I mean, I knew 100% that there was a head in there since the owner was the second to last kill, but just the way it looks in the toilet creeped me out. This is the only scene where the blood actually looks realistic, which is probably why it grossed me out more than anything else in the movie. None of the decapitations are actually shown on screen. There is one sequence where the killer swings their decapitation knife at a waitress in slow motion, where the shot goes back and forth from a shot of the swing and another shot of the waitress screaming. Every time they go back to the other shot, the timing looks off. It's hilarious. Even though this is shown, you don't actually see her head leave its shoulders. There are a bunch of slash wounds in Night School, which means there is a bunch of fake-looking bright red blood splashed on victims as they try to escape Eleanor's wrath. There are barely any actually applied slash marks, and the ones that are applied using makeup don't look good. The acting and dialogue is hammy throughout. The movie ends with Austin's partner, popping up in the back seat of a car in the killer's outfit and pretending to strangle Austin before revealing it's just a prank bro, which exemplifies how the tone of the movie is all over the place. 
There's also a weird sex scene where the professor rubs some strange red substance all over Eleanor while they are naked in the shower, which comes out of nowhere. Even though the movie is cheeseball to the max, there is some enjoyment to be had. I say give Night School a watch if you are looking for a super corny whodunit early 80s slasher. The director wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. One more fun thing. There is a stuffed panda on a playground merry-go-round that is heavily featured before and after the first kill in the movie. I really wanted the panda to be the killer since a stuffed panda is possibly the killer in the intro to this podcast. Alas, the little furball didn't do it. Number 7, Kooky, 2016, directed by Justin Harding. A girl named Bree won't stop eating cookies, so her mom gets a creepy clown head cookie jar. Bree has a nightmare where the clown comes to life. She destroys the cookie jar. Two weeks later, Bree is shown painting her dolls and other things to have clown faces. She's friends with the clown now, who may or may not be real. There is no killer. Unless you consider putting a ceramic head in a bag and smashing it on the ground multiple times to be murder. The sounds that are used during the smashing of the head are ghastly, but that's because they're bad and don't match what's on screen at all. This is another short film, and honestly, I'm starting to get tired of horror shorts. At least the ones I've been seeing are very formulaic. Monster is built up. Then Monster either grabs someone or is shown at the very end accompanied with a loud noise. This short is about twice the length of a normal horror short, so it does both things. The girl is grabbed by the clown in her dream. The clown is shown under the covers during the actual ending. Is it well made? Yeah. Is it well acted? Uh, for short, sure. Is it original? Not in the least. I guess the concept of a cookie jar being soul-bound to a sentient clown body is newish, but the entire structure and beats of the short are so incredibly generic. If you want your kid to stop eating so many cookies, why don't you stop making so many dang cookies? I think I'd try that before putting the crumbly good snacks into a decapitated clown head jar. Either make less or hide the jar. The original jar is this cute little teddy bear that I became attached to. When he was taken away and replaced by the clown, I was heartbroken. Picture an adorable bear cookie jar. Now think about the Sarah McLaughlin song, Angel. Actually, no. Think of her song, I Will Remember You. Perfect. Why are her songs so sad? Huh? Oh yeah, I'm talking about Kooky. Well, shoot. I don't really have much more to say about it. It's a short full of uninspired beats, a dream fake out, and obvious ending. If you get caught by the evil cookie clown in the dream, you get caught by the evil cookie clown for real. If you're super bored, look up Kooky. Or, you know, do anything else. That'll do it for episode 22 of Blank is the Killer. I hope you had fun listening about the entire Wreck franchise. I recently noticed that episode 1 of the podcast is missing on iTunes and podcast apps. I am looking into it and will hopefully figure out what's going on soon. If you happen to know how to fix this issue, let me know. As always, a big shout out to Sticker Fridge for hosting the podcast on their website. There is a new podcast on the network called Domcast that has a ton of interesting stories for you to listen to. Director's Showdown is also back. This time the boys are debating whether Tarantino or Paul Thomas Anderson is the better director. Check out all the podcasts on the Sticker Fridge Network. 
If you liked what you heard from me, why not rate Blank is the Killer on iTunes? I'll creep back onto your podcast apps on July 15th. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to write a decent homage to Scooby-Doo for adult audiences.